What does the Bible say about your soulmate? Does God have someone for everyone, or does He let you pick whoever and is pleased when you both honor Him? It's the Cross Culture Q&A question. Pastor Clay's answer, right after this week's Crosswalk. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. God, do you really want us to be the ones responsible to deliver to the entire world this message of the cross and resurrection, the empty tomb? God, really? Have you uh, noticed how caught up we get in our own world and our own circumstances and our own whatever and we manage to block out everything else and we're just so wrapped up in ourselves? Have you noticed that? Have you ever tried a new restaurant that was so good you couldn't stop talking to your friends about it? When you find a good mechanic, do you keep it a secret or do you recommend him to others who need their car worked on? It seems so natural to share information with others that we found good or important to us. So, why do Christians find it so difficult to share Jesus? Is a good restaurant more satisfied than a relationship with Christ? Is a day at the spa more important than an eternity in heaven? Is, is finding a good, honest mechanic better than finding the Savior? I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Well, today we return to our series entitled Cross Culture in 3D, So Real You Can Touch It. It's a series focused on making our faith come alive. We're discovering that following Jesus has to affect every area of our lives and make our faith so real that people around us can see it. Putting Christian on our Facebook religious status is not enough. If this thing is real, people should be able to tell that there's something different about our lives. The first dimension of growing into a fully devoted follower of Jesus was desire. Having a desire for the things of God is crucial to our success as disciples of Jesus. The second dimension is discipline. And we've spent a number of weeks looking at various disciplines that should be built into our lives as followers of Christ. And today we come to the last discipline that we're going to explore during this series, and it's the discipline of going. As Pastor Clay is going to show us today, Jesus has clearly charged us with the task of sharing His message with the world. But as I said a moment ago, most Christians struggle with the idea of sharing their faith. So how do we build in the discipline of going? Well, stay with us because here's Pastor Clay with the answer. Today we've returned to a series that we've been working through for the last uh, number of weeks entitled uh, Cross Culture in 3D. So real, you can touch it. It is a discipleship series designed to help each of us understand that, that putting Christian on our Facebook religious status is not enough. That if this thing is real, it has to be evidenced in our lives. If, thing, if this thing is real, people should be able to tell that there's something different about our lives. And so the first D, the first dimension that we started with was desire. I know I've said this a number of weeks. I keep bringing it up um, so that it sinks into our lives. Stressing the importance of the desire for the things of God. I cannot overemphasize that to you, ladies and gentlemen. That as you walk through life and as you consider yourself a Christian and if, as you evaluate your life and you say, you know what, I, 
I just don't know where I am in this whole desire thing. I, I just, I don't know that I can say I'm really hot-hearted for God. You ever heard, heard somebody use that saying? Man, that, that guy's hot-hearted for God. I, I don't know that I'm hot-hearted for God. Well, then, then try and evaluate your life. Figure out where you are, what's going on, and ask God. <laughs> I triple-dog dare you to ask God to make you hot-hearted for Him. Ask Him to give you a desire that, that manifests itself in your life as it comes out. The second dimension of a 3D follower of Jesus is discipline. And we have been walking through a number of disciplines uh, over the weeks. And by the way, all of those messages are available. Uh, you can go to iTunes and download them there. You can go to our website uh, under the media section and uh, find them there, listen to them right there or download them, whichever the case uh, may be. But we've walked through a number of disciplines. And today we come to what is the last discipline that I'm going to cover. It's not necessarily to say that we've exhausted all the disciplines. I, I don't know. But we've covered the ones that I, I believe are, are very, very important for our lives as we try and make this thing so real that people can touch it. And it is the desire or the discipline to go, going. You know, some things, there are some things that it just don't have to be said. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, some things uh, just don't have to be said. I, I, was, uh, I was with my brother, uh, Nate Jones, this week, and uh, in his car, Nate had a bag of pork rinds in his, in his car. And uh, what struck me, uh, just funny, I just busted out laughing when I read these, the, and I don't even remember the name of the company that sold the pork rinds, but it, here's what it said. It said, Southern style pork rinds. Is there any other kind? I mean, do they make pork rinds in, in uh, France? I, mean, I don't, uh, Southern style pork rinds. I just figured that really doesn't even need to be said. I don't know any other kind of pork rinds than Southern style. I was, uh, I, I walked two of my grandsons uh, down to the mailbox one day. Uh, this was a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Wyatt and Dakota, we walked down to the check the mail, and then we walked down. They had their little push-along motorcycle thing. We went all the way to the end of like our little uh, subdivision thing there at Dead Ends, and there's a culvert where they can throw rocks into, and they love to throw rocks into uh, this hole that just goes somewhere, and they can hear the splash down there. So uh, while, we're, uh, while we're down there, and they're picking up, they're going everywhere trying to find rocks, you know, and... and uh, so Dakota, who uh, just turned two, sees, um, can I say this? He sees some dog poop. Okay, can I say that up here? That's what he called it. I'm just telling you what he called it. He sees, and, and so he announces, dog poop, dead dog poop, dog poop. So Wyatt, who's about to turn four, goes running over <laughs> to see this, and... Um, and he starts saying, dog poop, there's dog poops. Yep, that's dog poop, dog poop. And they must say it 20 times. Dog poop, it's dog poop, dog poop, dog poop. So finally I said, okay, all right. I think that we have established that there is dog poop here. And so Wyatt turns around and he says, that is totally dog poop. <laughs> you know, it's just some things it just... Don't even have to be said. But some things do have to be said. This whole Jesus thing has to be said. If you brought a Bible with you today, open it please to John chapter 20. Uh, John chapter 20 
Um, we're, it's interesting where we're picking it up because the last two weeks, as I said, we, we looked at the crucifixion, and then last week we looked at the resurrection, and uh, this week, uh, just the way it worked out, we're looking at the post-resurrection and this uh, one of the last encounters that Jesus had with his disciples before he went back to heaven. John chapter 20, and we're going to begin this morning in verse 19. By the way, the text is up on the screen as well. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you uh, this morning, you can read along up there. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Reason being because they, they could tell that he was flesh and bone, that it wasn't an aberration, it wasn't a spirit, it wasn't a ghost that they were seeing, that Jesus physically was in the room with them. He, he, he showed them the nail prints in his hands. He showed them the, the hole in his side where the, the Roman soldier had driven the spear through. And so they rejoiced because they said, hey, they, we're not making this up, we're not dreaming about this, this is not a ghost, this is Jesus, he's, he's alive. Verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been forgiven retained. Why do we go? Why, why, do we, why, why, do, why do we talk about trying to fill this building up two or three times? We'll work on the first one, first time. But why, why, do we, why do we talk about going? Well, let me just maybe remind you a few things uh, today. We go, quite honestly, because Jesus called us to go. You know, just, just be practical about it. He just called us to go. Verse 21 says this, so Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now this conversation took place between Jesus and his disciples, those original uh, men, but also there were others there, the women that had been following Jesus, they were part of that, we really don't know exactly how many people may have been involved in it at this point, but this conversation takes place with them post crucifixion, post-resurrection. Jesus has risen from the grave, but it is pre-return to heaven. He hasn't, he hasn't left yet to go back to heaven. He spends some time with his disciples, and he gives them some instructions. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you may remember that I mentioned this thing called God's rescue plan. That, that God had this rescue plan in place from the very beginning. I mentioned it again last week. That God had put in place this rescue plan that would require His Son to come and be, the big word is the propitiation, would be the payment for our sins. God knew from the very beginning that we would rebel against Him and that He would have to redeem us. Because we would never be able to redeem ourselves. It's a price you and I simply cannot pay. Because it requires a sinless sacrifice. 
And so God puts this plan in place where his son will come down, be born from a virgin a, as a man, holy man, holy God, live his life, lay down his life so that you and I could then pick up a redeemed life, a forgiven life, an eternal life. <laughs> what a great rescue plan. But as we come to John chapter 20 here, And as Jesus is giving these instructions to to those disciples gathered there, and as we learn to his disciples, those of us who would come to be his disciples, we discover, lo and behold, we are part of God's rescue plan. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. We're part of God's rescue plan. Not we need to receive his rescue plan, of course, that goes without saying. But having received it, God has made us followers of him, believers, disciples of Christ. He's made us actually to be a part of this rescue plan. Now, guys, be honest with you. Why not? Say, yeah, be, be honest. Because <laughs> all the other weeks, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm. Sometimes, I'm just, it's, it's just me, okay? But sometimes, I'm like, God, really? I mean, do you really want us to be the ones responsible to deliver to the entire world this message of the cross and resurrection, the empty tomb? God, really? God, have you uh, noticed how caught up we get in our own world and our own circumstances and our own whatever and we manage to block out everything else and we're just so wrapped up in ourselves. Have you noticed that? Really? God, have you uh, noticed how easily distracted we get by the things of the world? Ooh, ooh, shiny. Uh. Have you noticed that, Lord? God, have you noticed how so many churches fuss and feud and fight over the littlest nothing and end up accomplishing nothing for your kingdom? God, are you sure there's not somebody else you would have to be engaged in this rescue plan of yours? What about angels? Hey, their very name means messenger. Why not have them deliver that message? You know, it's true. God has used angels, messengers, strategically throughout history to deliver very important messages. But do you know why I think God has left it up to us to deliver this message of his rescue plan, this message of redemption? Because we're the only ones that know what it's like to be redeemed. We're it, folks. Angels have never been redeemed Angels don't know what it's like to experience the grace of God in their lives. Angels don't, don't know what it's like uh, to, to experience forgiveness from all that stuff in my life that I, I don't even like to think about anymore and I can't believe that I did and to know that all of it is washed away, all of it is taken away, nailed to the cross, finished, done, kaput. I'm the only one that knows what that's like. I'm the only one that knows what it's like to be redeemed. We're the only ones that knows what it's like to be forgiven of our sins and to experience God's grace. So we are the perfect choice to be the ones to deliver 
God's rescue plan. Think about it. Now, just, for, just practically speaking, who is it that makes the greatest salespersons for anything? Is it not a satisfied customer? Don't, I mean, really, don't they? Businesses count on, on that. Restaurants count on you enjoying the experience so much that you're going to go out and tell your friends about it because they know that if you do, there's a very good possibility that y'all are... You know, I talked about the new Golden Corral here one week. Did any of y'all I talked about that gold, new Golden Corral with, with the chocolate fountain. Y'all remember that? Next to the homemade donut shop. I talked about that and I, I must have had... I don't know how many of y'all said, we went to that Golden Corral, we went there that day. Restaurants count on it. Listen... Whether it's a spa or, or an a auto repair shop or a grocery store, they know that word of mouth is the most powerful form of advertisement that there is. So here comes the question. Is a good restaurant more satisfying than a relationship with Christ? Is a day at the spa more important than an eternity in heaven? Is, is finding a good, honest mechanic better than finding the Savior? Let me just go ahead and answer that, okay, for all of us. No, of course not. Every one of us who are here who know Christ as our Savior would say, no, my relationship with Christ is the most important thing that there is. It's more important than anything that this world has to offer. That's, that's not it. It's not that we don't think that it's more important. The problem is, as I said a moment ago, we get so wrapped up in our own little world with our stresses and our problems and our needs and our wants. And we get so wrapped up in all of this that we get so, so tunnel visioned on what's going on in our life and all this stuff that, that, that we forget, that we forget that our neighbors need Christ. We get so distracted by the things of the world and the things that we want that we forget that our boss needs Christ. Okay, maybe not him. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, oh no, I know that guy needs Christ. We forget that our classmates need Christ. We forget that our family members need Christ. It, it, listen, it's not that we don't care, right? No, it's, I'm not. I, I've heard those preachers say, y'all just don't care enough. Y'all care about somebody, we can go to hell. I have no idea what kind of impersonation that was, but it's not that you don't care. It's not that I don't care. It's that we just get so focused on our stuff and what we're doing that we, that we, just, we just forget. And sometimes I need, to remember what, I need to remember what my life was like before Jesus. And can I tell you, I don't like remembering that stuff because I do remember. If I think about it, I do remember what my life was like without Christ. I do remember the things I did. I do remember what was important to me. And I remember what my eternity would be like if it wasn't for Christ. And, and we need to. We need to. It's not that we don't care. It's just that we get wrapped up in other stuff. And we forget. God doesn't forget. That's the great thing. And that's why he has this rescue plan. And that's why he has us to be a part of this rescue plan. So it really comes down to it. There's, there's an obedience issue here. Look at this passage of Scripture in Psalm 107, verse 2. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He's redeemed you from your enemies. 
passage we looked at last week, known as the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. It's a continual tense. It literally reads, As you're going, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and I'm going to be with you always, even to the very end of the age. It's an obedience issue in in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Maybe you've read this verse before. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We'll talk about that in a moment. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. If I were to put that into today's context for us, here's the way I would say that. Here's what it looks like. This is what I would call it. Personal, local, national, and global. That's what I'd say. Personal. Who are the people around me? Who's in my sphere of influence? It might be the next cubicle over. It might be somebody on the factory floor with me. It might be another school teacher. It might be somebody that I go to to class with. Um, It might be a family member. But who's my personal area of influence? Local. That's part of what we're doing here. It's part of what all of last week was about with Family Fun Day and the things that we do in the school system and everything. It's just to try and demonstrate the love of Christ in a real and a tangible way to people. To stop just saying it, Jesus loves you, but to, to show it, to live it, Jesus loves you. To locally reach out to our community. That's what, that's what Love Your Neighbor Days are all about that our life groups do. Nationally. I know, I know that this America is called the a godly country, but I, I'm sorry, newsflash, it's not. It's not. I know our money says, still says in God we trust, but the truth is our, our money is our God. Our nation needs Christ, and we have a responsibility as a church to be involved in some national level. So in your, I think in your handout today as you came in, uh, connected to that was uh, an envelope called the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. If you're not, not sure what that is, each year around the Easter season, uh, we take up an offering that goes to fund missionaries serving somewhere in North America, the United States and Canada. Many of them serve in places where uh, they have virtually no, nothing resource-wise to work with. And so those of us who perhaps have, have been blessed in, in uh, a more tangible way, churches that perhaps are a little more healthy financially can give and help make that possible. Maybe for you it's $5, maybe for you it's $50, maybe for you it's $500. I don't know what it is. I'm just saying that's part of what we do. It's part of the ways that we can be involved, and you can be involved in, in that as well, and globally, around the world. We've got, to, we've got to step up our game at Cross Culture. There's more that we need to do globally. Because right now there are tens of thousands of villages scattered all over uh, Asia and Africa and, and everywhere else you can think. There are thousands of them where the name of Jesus has never even been spoken one time. Tens of millions, billions of people. And so we go because Jesus called us to go. And again, just as a reminder, we go because Jesus has also empowered us to go. He really has. That's, that's the really good thing. Verse 22 says this. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this may sound a little strange to us. Okay, Jesus breathed on them and received the Holy Spirit. What, what, what's all that about? What's going on? Prior to uh, this time, the Holy Spirit of God, 
part of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God would come upon people for uh, God-sized tasks. He would come upon men and women uh, throughout history and empower them to accomplish something that in their own strength they would never be able to do. But after the crucifixion and the resurrection, it made it possible for the Spirit of God to actually dwell within those who were followers of Christ. That was not the case before, but after the resurrection, it was possible for the Spirit to permanently dwell. Today, when a person receives Christ as their Savior, if someone in this place today uh, says, you know what, I, I, I don't know that my sins are forgiven. I don't know where I'll spend eternity, but I want to know. I, be, I don't know it. I don't have all the answers, but I believe. I believe in Christ. I want Him to be my Savior. If someone in this place today made that decision and said, Christ, please come into my life. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. Based on the authority of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit would come to dwell within that person in that moment, in that instant. But that's not how it was prior to that. And now here in John chapter 20, Jesus has finished what He came to do And now the Holy Spirit is going to empower us to do what we're called to do. And that is to be a part of this rescue plan. And He empowers us to do just that, to accomplish that very task. Now, let me just say, this is part of the reason. This this is part of that reason that we don't go and as much as we should or don't share as much as we should. Like I said, we get distracted. But also, there's there's this fear, right? Can we just be honest? It's just us here today. There's, there's this fear, these feelings of inadequacy, right? Oh, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I'm afraid I wouldn't know what to say. I'm afraid I might say the wrong thing. I, I might, I, I'm, I'm afraid I might try and witness to a Buddhist and, and they'd convert me. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm so afraid. I, fear, I don't know what. Uh, uh, uh. Now, let me say this. There is some personal accountability and responsibility here, okay? You have responsibility in this. Peter writes this uh, to us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to give an answer of the hope that is in you. You and I need to know what we believe, we need to know why we believe it, and we need to be able to articulate that to others. So there is personal responsibility in this, but remember this, when that fear, that anxiety, that uncertainty, I don't don't know if I should say anything, remember this, ultimately God is the one who does the saving, ladies and gentlemen. It's not you and me. It's not you and me. It's the Spirit of God working in a person's life to bring conviction to them So he empowers you, he equips you, he enables you to accomplish the task that he's called you to do. Otherwise, he wouldn't even call you to do it. He wouldn't wouldn't ask us to join him in this rescue plan if if it was just left up to us. How crazy would that be? So he empowers us to do it. The Holy Spirit gives us that that ability, that authority that empowers us to do it. Listen, if you already have, I know I've got to hurry, you already have, the power. If you know Christ is your Savior, you already have the power. His name is the Holy Spirit, and He dwells within you. What you have to do is tap into that power. And you do that as you say, Lord God, here I am. I'm available to you. 
I'll go where you ask me to go. I'll say what you ask me to say. I'll do what you ask me to do. God, you just, you just name it. I'm here. I'll do it. That's releasing yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit and letting him work in your life. Listen to me. When, as we as a group of people, as we get a hold of that idea and, and present ourselves to God in that way and allow the Spirit of God to work in us in that way, I'm telling you, we will begin to achieve our passion state, we have a passion statement for this church, we'll begin to achieve that passion statement like we've never seen before. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. We'll see it happen. If we just say, God, here I am, Holy Spirit, do with me what you want to do with me. It's got to be you. It's got to be your power, your strength. you got to make this happen, but I, I, I'm here. I'm available. And watch God do it. Which then brings me to the last reminder and uh, it's just this. Go because people need us to go. Oh, how desperately they need us to go. Verse 22, wow. Or verse 23, I'm sorry. Um, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now, I don't know if you've ever read that verse before. I don't know if you ever thought about that verse before, but that's kind of an important verse. Now, first, let me clarify what it does not mean. Jesus is not saying that you and I have the ability to forgive anyone of their sins. God is the judge of sin and God is the justifier of sin. And he alone is able to remove sin from a person's life. Have we established that? Okay. You are forgiven. <laughs> we, can't, no, we, we, have, we do not have the ability to remove someone's sins. As best I understand it, best I see it, a literal translation of verse 23 would look like this. Whosoever sins you remit or forgive shall have already been remitted. It's a, it's a perfect tense verb. It means it's a completed idea. Shall have already been remitted or forgiven. And whoever sin you retain shall have already not been forgiven them. Well, thank you for that. That clears it up. Let's, let's look at what Warren Wearsby says about this particular verse. He says, in other words, the disciples, listen, the disciples didn't provide forgiveness. They proclaimed forgiveness on the basis of the message of the gospel. In other words, the disciples had the ability to say, if you will accept Christ and his sacrifice for your sins, your sins will be forgiven because God has already declared that his son's sacrifice was acceptable to remove the sins. And he is the only avenue through which that forgiveness can be attained. If you will accept his pardon, he's already paid it. It's already done if you'll accept his free gift of salvation. People need us. To go because they need Christ. I, uh, I went around yesterday and got most of the gift cards delivered that we drew out last week. You know, we did a drawing. People registered at the Family Fun Day for uh, six $50 gift cards uh, last week. And so yesterday I went around and delivered uh, most of them, five of the six. And uh, that was fun. Everybody was, was so excited, you know, to get the cards. So that, it was a lot of, a lot of fun. But uh, the first lady that I went to, she was really excited. She said, oh, she said, come here, let me hug you. She just hugged me, and, and, uh, and, and she said, oh, said, I, I've, been, I, I've been wanting to get some shorts, and now this can let me get some shorts. So, and so I, I gave her my card, and I said, listen, I, 
just thank you so much for coming. Don't know if you have a church home, but I want you to know we'd love you. We meet every week. We'd love to have you come back. And she said, uh, said my husband uh, is a lifelong uh, Catholic, and when we go, we go to the Catholic church, um, I believe the one on, on Leesville Road. It, and she said, but I want to come and try your church because, and this is what she said, because I've heard that yours is the church for every person. She has said yours, yours is the church for every person or yours is the every person church. One or the other, I thought, that's good. Listen, I, I, this is the truth, I, I'm telling you. I didn't know whether to shout or spit or cry. And I, I figured any one of those options would have freaked her out, so I refrained. <laughs> but, but listen, folks, can I tell you, that is it. That is it. That is part of the vision of what cross-culture was founded for in the first place. To say that God loves every person and that he will accept any person that would bend their knee to him and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. People need us to go. Now, real quickly, already way out of time, but let me give you, I gave you this last week, so I'll just run through it real quick, but I give it to you again because I have people ask me, well, but what do you say and what do you, let let me just give it to you real quickly um, again so, so you'll have it. This is simple. There are lots of different methods out there. There are all kinds of programs. There are all kinds of tracks that you give people on how do I walk a person through the message of Jesus, the gospel. How do I do that? I'm going to give you what I gave it last week. Uh, I think it's good, not because I came up with it, but just because it's simple. And I think that you can remember. All you got to remember is four P's, folks. If you want to share the gospel with somebody, all you got to remember is four P's. All you got to remember is this, that there's a problem. And, and there's those verses. We went over them last week, so we won't look at them again this week. There's a penalty because of the problem. There's a payment for the penalty and there is a promise as a result of the payment. I added a verse, by the way, in case you know, Michael made reference to it today, Romans 8, 1, my favorite verse in the whole Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. That if we will confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's the promise. So if you can just walk them through the problem, the penalty, the payment, and the promise, and you can remember, even if you take off the first John verse, that's a good one. But if you just say, well, I'm going to stick with Romans. All right, do that. But you can, you can, that's the gospel, folks, in a nutshell. And people need to know it. They need to know it in your personal life. They need to know it in your local life. They need to know it in our national life. And they need to know it globally around the world. The discipline of going. How are you doing in that area? As the Father has sent me, so send I you. The world so desperately needs to know of God's love and His plan to rescue them. As those who have been redeemed, we know firsthand what it means to be forgiven and adopted into the family of God. Who better to share that with a world lost in sin than us? Building the discipline of going to those around us not only honors God by being obedient to His command to go, it also allows us to have a part in sharing the greatest news ever told to those who need it more than anything. Why not find someone to share your faith with this week? Who knows? God might just use you to change someone's eternal destiny. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. 
Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Now this week's Cross Culture Q&A. Q&A time at Cross Culture Church. We, uh, we take a question, uh, usually week to week, sometimes a few weeks when we don't do it. An interesting question here uh, today, and uh, the question looks like this. What does the Bible say about your soulmate? Does God have someone for everyone, or does he let you pick whoever and is pleased when you both honor him? That's as if you've been here before, you know I pretty much have the question written exactly the way it was given to me. Does, what does the Bible say about your soulmate? Does God have someone for everyone, or does he let you pick whoever and is pleased when you both honor him? Referring to being married, single, that sort of thing. So, let me start off by saying, first off, it is not a sin to be single. Okay? All right? I, I think sometimes people get the idea that, you know, unless I'm married, I'm never going to be able to, to be all that I'm supposed to be or accomplish all that God wants me uh, to accomplish. That, that's not the case. And I know that society can sometimes, you know, kind of put that on you. Even our own well-meaning family members, parents and siblings and that sort of thing can sometimes maybe make us feel somehow that we're just not quite uh, complete or, or something if we're not uh, married. That's, uh, that's not true. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Now, in the context of 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is discussing the sexual relationship in marriage and the importance of that sexual relationship in marriage. Married men, can I have an amen? Oh, brother. Okay, married wives, can I have an amen? Somebody, well, yeah. How important the sexual relationship within marriage is. And so that's what Paul is discussing. But in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, Paul says, but listen, I, and apparently he did, have what was sometimes referred to as the gift of being single. Paul, it wasn't that big a deal to Paul to be married. And, and he didn't have those sexual 
desires and all that kind of stuff. And he said, I wish you were like me. Now, Paul's not down on marriage. He's not anti-marriage. He's just saying from a very practical standpoint that when you're single, you don't have some of the family responsibilities that you do have as a married man or woman. And you are freed up. If God says go here, you can go. If God says do this, you can do it. And, and you don't even have to consider uh, family implications. because. So Paul says, man, if you're like that, that's, that's a pretty good deal. So, so it's not a negative if you're single. It, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. I'm not saying that you can't be married. I'm just saying that you may actually be in position to be used by God to an even greater degree. The second thing I would say is this, that, um, uh, that if you have a desire to be married, you feel like that, and I'm supposed to be married, I, I want to be married, you know, that sort of thing, then remember, God is perfectly capable of meeting any and every need in your life. God can do that. All right? In Genesis chapter 2, we find uh, this. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. Throughout Scripture, you find this principle of God meeting the needs of his people, whatever it is, including a spouse and who that might be. God is perfectly capable of doing that in our lives. Now, that does not mean, well, all right, God, I'm just going to sit right down on this couch and wait for you to bring me the perfect person. When the doorbell rings, I'll know that that's the right one. Okay, it, it doesn't work that way. At least I, doesn't, I don't think it works that way unless the right person for you happens to be the UPS delivery man. Uh, but, it, but it, it doesn't really work that way, all right? All right, it also doesn't mean, though, that you have to go bar hopping. There's a tried and true method for you. It doesn't mean you have to go bar hopping, okay? It doesn't mean you have to join every online dating service known to, to man. And I'm, I'm not necessarily saying they're bad or good. I don't know, I'm just saying you better pray about it. Um, it... Nor does it even mean that you should join a church that has a a large singles ministry. (laughs) Okay? What it means is, is that you surrender your life to God. And you say every day, God, it's not my will, but it's your will. What do you want to do in and through me? What do you want to accomplish? You, You turn it over to him and you say, God, you're in charge, you're in control. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. And God, you just take my life and you turn it over to him. And you let God work. And you trust him to meet the needs. But you can have, if, if you're doing that, if it's your desire to be married, you believe God wants you to be married, and you're willing to walk in obedience to God, you can have every expectation that God will meet that need in your life. Okay? The third and final thing that I want to say is, if you are married and you did not seek, you know, God's perfect person for you. You didn't seek God's will in finding the person that you are married to. That doesn't mean that you're married to the wrong person. Everybody that's married, look at me. The person you're married to is the right person. They are the right person. They, they, they really are. Um, and, and listen, this is a personal example. Let me just say this. Uh, Cindy and I, you know, I, I wasn't looking for God's will when, when, I, was, when I was dating Cindy. She, she was just a hot cheerleader, and I just wanted to, to, to date her, you know. I wasn't, 
I wasn't, I wasn't praying about it. I wasn't, I wasn't seeking God's will. Listen, for that, we, 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 we didn't do it God's way. We were sinning against God's will. We, we didn't even look at God's word. We did everything wrong. But by the grace of God, he brought us to himself, which then made our marriage what it was supposed to be and made, made our relationship what it was supposed to be. So the person that you're married to is the person that God has for you as you seek to honor him with your life. That's a lot, but that's Q&A for today.